Good morning. We continue our sermon series today on the Apostles' Creed, as you have surmised by this point. The reason we're doing this series is because life can be so confusing, can it not? Things happen that we don't understand, tragedies or experiences, and they disrupt our routines and our routine way of thinking. And the Christian faith can be so confusing, too. I'm on for me. Are we on? The Christian faith can be so confusing as well. Nowadays, I don't know about you, but I've encountered so many versions of Christianity, and oftentimes we see those different versions engaged in bitter shouting matches. Like parents shouting about who's right and who's wrong, the children of faith are left disoriented and alone. Into this context of confusion, the creed clears the air. The Apostles' Creed takes us to a time long before the denominational shouting matches began. The creed puts us into living contact with the original, fresh expression of belief, gladly held by the universal community of Jesus. In the first 300 years of the church, the Christian faith was an allegiance to God for which men, women, and children bravely died. This was no cloudy faith, but it was the sure substance of that which the first followers witnessed with their own eyes. In the creed, we're dealing with the apostles' collective memory, the apostle Peter and the apostle John and all the rest. It's their shared memory of Jesus that gets condensed into a summary statement, which we call the apostles' creed. And it remains the most reliable way to learn the heart of faith. Perhaps the creed also has the capacity to put an end to our shouting so that the children of God can join hands and carry out God's mission. Today, we've arrived at the statement, at this statement in the creed. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We've already made clear that God is Father Almighty. And last week, Pastor Stephanie explained that what it, explained what it means that Jesus is God's only Son, our Lord. And as our Lord, God the Son empathizes with our struggles, intercedes for us, and brings us new life even now. Now that all sounds nice and everything, yet none of it matters practically if we can't experience this God for ourselves. And that's why we must confess, I believe in the Holy Spirit. This new life with God is available to you and to me, and it's free because we believe in the Holy Spirit. So as we begin to discuss the Holy Spirit, a topic, by the way, which some of you wrote in on topics you wanted to learn more about, uh, because it's, it's just one of those things that, that many of us, we don't quite know what to think about the Spirit. So as we begin, I know of no better place to turn than to Jesus' own words about the Holy Spirit. These are preserved for us in the Gospel of John, and what's often been called the Jesus' farewell discourses. This is right before Jesus uh, dies and, and is risen, and crucifixion is knocking on the door, and Jesus knows it, and so he gives his disciples one last sermon, his parting words. 
is extend from chapters 14 through 17 in John. Today we'll focus on the most significant parts that deal with the Holy Spirit. These texts are found in your order of worship. I'll, I'll read them as one. Uh, you can follow along by, by checking the text in, in the bulletin. Before we, we read God's word, let us pray, and let us pray to the Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Tell us about yourself. Reveal yourself to us, your children. Show us what you'd like us to know about you. Persuade us of your truth and lead us on the right path of good daily living. We pray to you, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, to the glory of the Father. Amen. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, beginning with John chapter 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me. And those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify, because you've been with me from the beginning. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus believes in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, Jesus speaks of the Spirit in relation to himself and the Father. John's gospel is so dense and packed with meaning, and the section we read is so dense and packed with meaning, that we need to rehash exactly what Jesus believes about the Holy Spirit and then unpack three, three items from it all. So here's the, the rehash. Jesus says, The Spirit comes from the Father. Jesus asks the Father to give us the Spirit to be with us forever. 
Jesus promises that the Father will send the Spirit in Jesus' name. Jesus calls him the Spirit of truth. And Jesus claims this Spirit will do all sorts of things for us. The Spirit, number one, will teach us everything, remind us of all Jesus' words, guide us into all truth. And number two, the Spirit will testify on Jesus' behalf, will glorify Jesus. Then we learn that the Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus and makes it belong to us. He takes what is Jesus and gives it to us. In light of this dynamic reality of the Spirit, Jesus gives them a unique name, a name found only in the Gospel of John. Jesus names him the paraclete. Say that with me, the paraclete. There's no word quite like it. If only I had three words to explain it, I'd use the words of this sermon's title. The paraclete is our advocate, our counselor, our friend. That's the sort of Holy Spirit Jesus believes in. Is that your view of the Holy Spirit? Now we have some unpacking to do. That's, that's some heavy luggage Jesus has just set before us. And so this morning we'll unpack three of the items. First, we'll unpack Jesus' claim that the Spirit comes from the Father. Second, we'll unpack the benefits we receive when the Spirit transfers onto us what belonged to Jesus. And third, we'll unpack that unique name given to the Spirit, the paraclete. So we start with Jesus' simple declaration that the Holy Spirit comes from the Father. What precisely does this mean? I don't know. I know it has something to do with the Trinity, but when people much smarter than I have tried to figure it out, they can never come to any sort of agreement. In fact, did you know the first sad schism in the church took place in 254, in part over the precise wording about the Spirit's relationship to the Father and the Son. But now it's 2017, and very few of us really feel the import of these words of Jesus about the Spirit. The Spirit comes from the Father, he says. So what, we think? The more likely question in our minds today is not, what does this mean, but why does this matter? So we'll certainly deal with why this matters in just a bit. But if we're going to take the Holy Spirit seriously today, I see no way around a brief discussion on what Jesus means when he says the Spirit comes from the Father. This inevitably leads us to the subject matter of the Trinity. Ah the Trinity. Just what you were so eager to learn about as you drove to church this morning, right? Perhaps as you argued with your spouse over why you're always late, or perhaps why you struggled to wake up after another sleepless night, you thought to yourself, I really hope the pastor addresses the Trinity this morning. That's really what I need to hear this morning. Well, let me tell you, you're in luck. All I really know to say about the Trinity is what the Heidelberg Catechism said 500 years ago. This is in your bulletin sermon notes. Could you pull that out for a second? We'll read it together. It's, under, it's in the middle column under sermon notes. Q&A 25. I'll ask the question, and then you all are invited to respond with the answer. Question. 
since there is only one divine being, why do you speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Answer, because that is how God has revealed himself in his words. This may sound like a cop-out, <laughs> but if you think about it further, it's really not. Think about it like this. When you meet someone new, the only way you are going to get to know this person is if she introduces herself to you. She must disclose things about herself, and you must be able to understand what she says and trust that her, her self-presentation to you is true. When we meet God, God is utterly and entirely other. We've never met anyone like God. So God introduces God's self. In that introduction, we notice that sometimes the one addressing us is called Father, and sometimes Jesus, and sometimes the Holy Spirit. And there appears to be something different about each of these persons, like we witnessed in our scripture passage for today, that Jesus praise to the Father about sending the Spirit. As we get to know God, we know we're talking only to one being, but we keep seeing these three relating to one another as individuals might relate to another person. So how do we understand this? Well, we don't know entirely, for we've never been introduced to a being like this before, and there are no human comparisons. That's just the way God seems to be. Gregory of Nazianzus in the 300s put it this way. No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. Let that soak in for a moment. I'll say it again. No sooner do I conceive of the one then I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. On account of this revelation of God, the ancient Apostles' Creed divides itself into three sections. The trifold structure reflects the triune God. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's all commentary on one verse from Jesus, viewed in light of the rest of the biblical witness. That's what it means when Jesus says the Spirit comes from the Father. It means God is triune. Now, what does, why does this matter? Two reasons. First, it matters because we worship a God we can't fully understand. God's very being remains a mystery, and that's a good thing. We worship something so much more complex than we can imagine, and that's a good thing. We are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves, and that's a good thing. All of this means we can have confidence that the God we worship is not simply a projection of our own making. If you know anything about human nature, this is not the sort of God we'd invent. Faith in the Trinity is a good sign that we don't just have the God we want, rather, we have the God we need. Second, it matters because we are what we worship. You've heard it said before that 
we are what we, what we eat. I don't know about that, but I do think it's true that we are what we worship. We can tell by what many people are in the Western world that many people don't worship the Trinity. How full we are of Lone Ranger narcissistic individuals. Our land is filled full of isolated persons drawing attention to themselves because of their insecurities. We've reached a point where the world needs absolutely no more selfies. If we are what we worship, then such lonely folks do not worship the triune God. At least they haven't come to grips with the practical good reality of the triune God. They haven't experienced the most marvelous news that God is three in one. But the God that we need, the triune God of grace, leads to a different way of being in the world. You see, the triune God exists as a fellowship of love. And we need a lot more fellowship. And we need a lot more love. Consider this. In God's own life, there is an activity of mutual self-giving, a community of sharing, a society of love. And that is the basis of God's history of love for the world. A community of sharing, a society of love. We see this in John 16, which we read. The Holy Spirit does not clamor for attention, Instead, his constant ministry is to get people to focus on Jesus. And when we read the Gospels, we don't see Jesus walking around taking selfies and saying, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, do we? Instead, what we see is each member of the Trinity pointing selflessly to the others in a gracious, eternal circle of love. We see in the Father a heart that loves to glorify the Son, We see in the Son the embodiment of the Spirit, desiring to do only the Father's will. We see in the Spirit constant attention being drawn to Jesus. That's the Trinity with one another, a society of love. So if it's true that we are what we worship, and the Trinity is what we worship, then we shall become more and more persons who find their very life in a community of belonging. We don't think of ourselves primarily as individuals, alone, isolated, but as individuals in community. And the more we worship this trinity, the more we naturally grow in humility, not seeking attention for ourselves, but honoring others. The more we worship the trinity, the more the love of God multiplies among us so that God's self-giving Others regarding love becomes more a part of who we are because we are what we worship. That's why it deeply matters that Jesus says the Spirit comes from the Father. God is a God of self-giving others regarding love. And we can become like that as we worship him. To mark this section with, the excla- with an exclamation point before we move on, Listen to how Christian philosopher Dallas Willard puts it. He writes, The advantage of believing in the Trinity is not that we get an A from God for knowing the right answer. The advantage of believing in the Trinity 
is that we then live as if the Trinity is real, as if the cosmos around us is actually, beyond all else, a community of unspeakably magnificent personal beings of boundless love, knowledge, and power. That's the advantage of believing in the Trinity. Now, there are two more items left to unpack from our scripture reading for today, and I think you'll find them easier to digest. We turn to John 16, verse 13 through 15. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. But he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And here's what we're going to unpack now. Verse 14. The Spirit will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For that reason I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus and makes it belong to us. The Holy Spirit takes what Jesus can rightfully call mine and declares it to us. Generous sharing, as we just learned, is a part of the divine nature. So Jesus gladly gives away what is his, and he asks the Father, and the Father commissions the Spirit to be the agent of transfer. The Spirit takes what belongs to Jesus and transports it to us. So what is it that belongs to Jesus? Namely this, an intimate life with the Father. A life that intersects with the Father's life so deeply that Jesus can say, I am in my Father and the Father is in me. That's what belongs to Jesus, this intimate life with the Father. Here's the most radical part. If you can believe it, The Holy Spirit takes this intimate relationship and transfers it to all who trust in Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? The Holy Spirit takes the relationship that Jesus enjoys with his Father and brings it to us. Here, take, enjoy. This is my life given for you. Partake of it, all of you, and delight in me. Oh, Lord, certainly not. For I am a man of unclean lips and a corrupt heart and a dirty mind. Certainly not, Lord. No, you don't understand, I hear the Spirit whisper. This is why the Father sent the Son, and this is why the Son gladly came not to change his opinion of you, for it's always been one of love. It can be, it can be no other way but to come close to you, that you might be in me as I am in the Father. Here, this is the life, this is the life shared between the Father and his natural Son. Enjoy it, for we've adopted you. You are no orphan. Come into our divine family. You are now a son, a daughter of God. In fact, Jesus is not ashamed to call you his brother or sister. Jesus declares, John 14, verse 20, On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Can we comprehend this? This is the intimacy between the Father and the Son, 
and the Spirit makes it available to us. Verse 23. Whoever loves me will keep my word. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Friends, can you love your God? Whoever doesn't love me doesn't keep my words. Verse 24. Friends, as we glimpse who God is, I don't know how anyone could not love our triune God. We love him, do we not? For the Spirit makes us share in Christ and all his benefits through true faith. Question and answer 53 of the Catechism says, God is so beautiful. And yet we still have our moments, don't we? I'm not sure about you, but I know that I certainly have not kept all of Jesus' words this week. Do not worry about your life, Jesus says. Stop collecting treasures for your own benefit on earth, Jesus says. When you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words, Jesus says. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Jesus says. I have not kept all of Jesus' words this week. I don't know about you. Leon Morris writes this about this passage. There is a high standard set before Christians, and one they do not meet, precisely because of the standard expected and the certainty of judgment they need a paraclete. That is the Holy Spirit. This brings us to the third and final item to unpack this morning. The Holy Spirit as our paraclete. That is, our advocate, our counselor, and our friend. Chapter 14, verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will send another paraclete who will be with you forever. This paraclete is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor recognizes him. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you. Now, the Greek noun paraclete, I know you've taken in a lot talking about Greek. Maybe isn't the best thing to do next, but I'm going to. The Greek noun paraclete, it's hard to translate with just one English word. And I think this is actually helpful because it calls us to ponder more deeply the role of God, the Spirit, in our lives. Each translation adds another dimension to our understanding of this incredible relationship that we have with our spirit. So one translation of the paraclete is advocate. Now, in some ancient Greek texts outside of the Bible, a paraclete is a legal term indicating a defense attorney. Now, I know what you know what a defense attorney is, because I know you watch your law and order or your legal dramas of another sort. And so that's why some translations use the word Advocate sounds better than defense attorney. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will send another advocate. An advocate is one who pleads someone's cause before a judge. In fact, the word paraclete is used once to describe Jesus, and it seems to bear this meaning. 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate, a paraclete with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is God's way of dealing with our sins, not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. 
Oh, that is good news to the predicament we find ourselves in, is it not? Jesus is our advocate, and he deals with our sins. Not only our sins, but with the sins of the whole world. So Jesus is our paraclete, our advocate, who is with the Father, preventing our sins from blocking our relationship with the Father. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, is another advocate, another person who understands you completely and therein defends your case with grace and truth. That's the first translation, the paraclete, the Spirit as our advocate. The second common translation is the word counselor. I will ask the Father and he will send another counselor. This translation reflects well all of those actions given to the Spirit concerning guidance in our passage. The counselor is the Spirit of truth. The counselor will teach you everything, will remind you of everything I told you. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. The Spirit as our counselor, as our guide. When we think of God as our counselor, we're reminded of Isaiah's prophecy about Jesus, aren't we? Isaiah 9, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the Holy Spirit, we have received another Wonderful Counselor to be with us forever. Finally, some translations of Paraclete use the word friend. Jesus asks the Father, and he sends another friend. I don't know about you, but I could use another friend. Could you? The reason some translate paraclete as friend is because the ancient Greek legal system is different from ours. In the Greek system, a defendant, a a, a defense attorney, if you will, was not necessarily a trained, distant professional. Instead, Any friend who would take action to give help in time of legal need might be called a paraclete. Not necessarily someone who's professional or who's distant, but someone who's near and close and cares about you so much that he will do anything to help you in time of need. That is the Spirit for us. Spirit, our friend. This brings out the personal friendship the Spirit of God has with each and every one of us, us who trust in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is our friend who takes action to aid us in our time in need. So Jesus says, this is the Spirit, our advocate, our counselor, and our friend. You know him because he lives with you and will be with you forever. And this way you will enjoy the relationship that the Son enjoys with the Father. It's available to you in ever-growing measure as we continue this life, and as we come to the next, we will experience it full force. What a joy and what a glory that awaits us. So that's a little bit about me, says the Holy Spirit. Believe in me, and your life will never be the same. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, make these words more than words. Give us the Spirit of Jesus. Make known to us that friendship 
with God that can be ours in Christ. Remove any obstacle, any sin blocking our friendship with you. Jesus Christ, deal with our sins by your grace, by your cross, by your resurrection. Restore our friendship with you once more. In Jesus' name, amen.